0: Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketing Today. In this episode, we have Joel Kletke. He is a copywriter extraordinaire. He's done some amazing work, including doubling the conversion rate of HubSpot. Now, if you know anything about conversion rate, you know how hard it is it is to even get a 10% increase. But this guy was able to do it with a team of doubling the conversion rate at HubSpot. As a sign of how funny and great Joel's copy is, check out his Twitter at Joel Kletke. It says here, pray for your competitors. After you hire him, they'll need it. Come on, how how great is that? Even his LinkedIn says Canada's A-list. Like A, a lot of Canadians say, A, you know I'm Canadian. A-list conversion copywriter. Such a great guy, uh, super excited to release this. In this episode, Joel opens up about his process for creating copy that multiplies conversion rate and that actually sells. He talks about why he doesn't write copy and he actually assembles it almost like a Lego piece. And finally, Joel shares how he uses testimonials and social proof to increase the conversion. But I don't want to hold you back any further. He is, here is my chat with Joel. Welcome back to Growth Market Today. I had Today, I have Joel. Uh, he is a copyright extraordinaire. Hey, Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Life's
0: busy. Life's exciting. A little bit stressful sometimes, but I'm feeling good. Today's a good day. How are you doing?
1: I am doing all right. Excited. I, we're recording this on our Friday. I can't complain, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The weekend's almost here.
1: Before I start, I want to say that, first of all, I love your copy on your, your social media. I think it's just funny. Uh, on twitter you said pray for your competitors after you hire me they'll need it and then on linkedin uh i just saw it i was like looking you up before we jump on this call you said Canada's a list you know like a lot of canadians say a conversion copywriter for SaaS and b2b uh, around the world even your website it's like words are boring but copy that sells is sexy i just want to ask how do you come up with this stuff this is like so witty it's, <laughs> it's funny yeah, thank you. I, I think honestly,
0: it's not it's not a sexy process. I wish I could tell you that like I have this really defined. You know, I like go into my quiet space and ideas come to me. Honestly, though, um, pray for your competitors was something that just popped into my mind. I saw somebody a, a while back. This was a, a fair bit ago uh, on LinkedIn. They had posted that they pray for their clients, and someone recently posted about it again, and I. I I shared this there again. They're talking about how they pray for the clients. I thought that was kind of nice. But then my my mind went to a darker place that oh, I pray for my competitors because they're going to have trouble keeping up. And that's where that came from. And then the A-list copywriter line, I honestly, I was at the copywriting conference and I kept hearing people saying over and over again, you know, A-list copywriter, A-list copywriter. And, and then I kept talking at that conference about how I'm a Canadian, how many Canadians are there. And I woke up one night while at the conference like A-list copywriter. Oh, I wonder if anyone's using that. And I didn't see anybody who, who'd made that connection. (laughs) So I just put it together. And I mean, the copy on my site, that, that was a little bit more intentional and methodical. Uh, I think a big part of the reason that copywriters struggle is they don't stand out and they're all saying the same things like, you know, I'll, I'll help you find the words and, you know, I'll put words in your mouth and da-da-da-da, the same old cliche. So, I wanted to have something that was just disruptive and, and surprise people and, you know, because most people think you come to a copywriter to buy words and that's not what you get when you come to me. You're, you're getting the way I think and approach problems. So, yeah, it's, it, and you know, sometimes I wake up with it. Sometimes it comes to me on the toilet and other times it just comes out of nowhere. <laughs>
1: It's like wherever inspiration hits you, right? Totally. I really like what you said that you're you're a lot of companies they think they're buying words from copywriter, and like you kinda hit that on the head with with your copy on your website. Like words is not what you're selling. You're selling copy that sells, right? And those those are kind of sometimes totally different things. Yeah. Would you say?
0: Totally. I think when a lot of people think about hiring a copywriter, they think only of the end deliverable. Like, I need a blog post. Uh, I need a website and so on. But the problem is that, you know, a copywriter's job is not to pound a keyboard and make words come out. You know, a copywriter's mm-hmm. job is to do the hard thinking about why things should be said the way that they're said, to do the homework, to know what to say and how to say it and where to say it. That's a real copywriter's job. So I think when people go looking for words, when they have them and tell people, anyone with a keyboard can write, I always try to tell them like, listen, if you are going to get up on a stage in front of 5,000 people and you had one shot to give them a really compelling speech. Are you going to hire the best speech writer your money can buy? Are you going to hire your uncle's brother's you know writer guy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it, that's, that's what you're doing every day with your website, your emails, all of it. You're, you're trying to send a message and you've got, in, in a lot of cases, one shot to get people to sit up and pay attention. And so, you want to put that messaging in the hands of someone who knows what to do with it.
1: And that's what I want to hit on in a bit. I watched one of your training with Talia I She's going to be on my podcast in a few weeks. But, you know, you just went through the whole strategy, what you go through to get the words, the copy that actually sells. But before I get there, uh, I, I looked on LinkedIn. I, I looked you up. <laughs> Sorry for stalking you a bit there just to find out what you've been up to. Uh, I noticed you actually started in SEO. Uh, and I saw some videos on YouTube about you doing SEO. Then you moved to conversion copywriting at some point in your career. I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about your journey so far to being a highly sought after copywriter? Totally.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if we're going to go way back, uh, (laughs) I always loved to write as a kid. And I had a grade four teacher. I can pinpoint it all the way back to grade four. And I had a teacher who encouraged me and said, you're good at this and you should keep doing this. And she just lit a spark in me that never went out. But I never saw writing as a career. You know, I didn't think writing books was a, a career path that was going to be sustainable, realistic. I didn't want to be a journalist. And so, for a long time, this whole world of copywriting was just not on my radar. I didn't clue in that like, hey, someone needs to write the websites and the emails and everything that's online. But fast forward a little bit, I go through university, I get a business degree, and I graduate knowing more about the kind of place I want to be than what I want to do. Like, I know I definitely don't want to be an accountant. I definitely don't want to be finance. <laughs> you know, like my original declared degree was going to be in human resources. And thank goodness that didn't work out. <laughs> I switched it to being in entrepreneurship. So I had no clue about, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. But I wanted to be in a place that was, you know, small where I could wear a lot of hats, try a lot of things. I wanted it to be something that I felt was, you know, future proof. But I had no real concept of where I'd wind up. So long story short, I got hired on at an agency and they said, hey, do you want to you know, come do SEO with us? I said, what's SEO? And they kind of explained it. All, all right. <laughs> you know, I had a friend who worked there and referred me and, and they saw that I didn't know anything, but that I had the right attitude. And my only criteria was, do I have to cold call anybody? And they said, no. I was like, great. I'm in. Done. Because I suck. (laughs) I suck at cold calling. So, I did SEO at that agency for almost five years. And I started off on like mom and pops. And by the time that I left, I was working on national campaigns. And that was my whole world. But as I was working on that, it started to dawn on me that, hey, copy is really important. And if you've ever worked Mm. in SEO, you know how much content gets, you know, emphasized. So, I thought man, alive. And this was right around when Panda and Penguin and those things were happening. And I, I I thought, man, the entire industry is turning its head towards content being valuable. If ever there was a time to go out on my own, this is it. I've got to strike while the iron was hot. And what solidified that for me real quick is we hired a freelance copywriter, which again, I just didn't even realize was a, a thing for some reason. And they were awful. And we were paying them 40 bucks an hour. And I thought, you know what? I love this stuff. <laughs> And if somebody who's bad at this can charge forty bucks an hour, what could I charge? And so I went out on my own in 2013 and never looked back. Originally, I was doing content type stuff. Um, eventually, got introduced to Joanna Weeb's work in the world of conversion copy. Realized you didn't have to be a sleaze ball to do it. And that after that, I was sold. I, I could combine the analytical stuff I love doing in SEO and, and looking at that with the creative stuff I loved about writing, and have this career now in in helping people convert and in helping companies you know improve conversions using the power of copy. and And I uh, I absolutely love it. It marries all the best parts of all the best mm. jobs I've had.
1: Nice. What kind of stuff did you, uh, like, where did you learn uh, copywriting from? You mentioned Joe, um, Joanne Weeb, uh, which I know all from copywriters.com. But you, any other blogs that you, you looked up or any courses that you, you checked out yeah, to learn copywriting?
0: Totally. Before we talk courses and blogs and that kind of thing, I want to say, honestly, the best way to get better at writing is just to write. Uh, right. I, I learned yeah. a ton just getting thrown into projects and saying, "Yeah, I'll figure this <laughs> out," and then reading about it. So, if, if you're looking to improve your chops, yes, books all that are shortcuts, but just start writing. But yeah, Joanna Weeb, Copy Hackers—that's where I kind of got my first taste of conversion stuff. And from there, Conversion XL has a fantastic blog. Um, wider funnel has had a lot of good pieces and they still do. Um, I learned a lot from, you know, just free resources, unbounces blog and HubSpot's blog. And, you know, there's a ton out there to get started on totally free, you know, not, not spending a penny. Uh, there are some books that I've found helpful with time, um, pre-suasion by, uh, Caldini. I think that's how you say his name. Mm, And, and, um, You know, that's really helpful for the mindset and and the thinking and research part of it. Um, I also got a ton out of breakthrough advertising, which is so stereotypical to say. Um, okay. But Eugene Schwartz's book is dated as it is. It's really fantastic. Now, there's newer takes on it, I think, that modernize it a bit and they're just as valuable. So, no need to spend a 100 bucks on that. But I really <laughs> learned about awareness, you know, from that book and those stages of awareness. And um you know, lots of sources, but copy hackers and Joanna, she really took me under her wing and I was part of her first mastermind ever. And, um, that really helped me hone things and get going.
1: Nice. I know you mentioned Eugene Swartz because like, uh, you, you, you quoted him in one of your trainings with Talia Wolf that's available on her website at getuplift.co. You mentioned copy is never written. Copy is assembled. I'm curious what you mean by that. Like what are pieces of copy that uh, that multiply conversion rates and drive more and better leads.
0: Yeah, so Eugene Schwartz said that. He said, copy is never written, copy is assembled. And I'll use an, an analogy to you know try to make that real. So when you're a kid, right, and you've got Legos and you want to build a Lego tower, what do you do? You dump out the box, you pick up the pieces that are going to be useful, you stack them together, and there's your tower, right? But no blocks, no tower. It doesn't just spontaneously appear. You need to pull together Mm -hmm. the things to assemble it. That's exactly what conversion copywriting that's exactly what copywriting is about going out doing the research and learning the things you need getting all of the pieces in place and then just putting them together it's not really about being struck with a lightning bolt of inspiration it's not purely a creative pursuit where you just Mm. kind of noodle on you know an idea it's about going out and learning for example what are my customers pain points What are the outcomes that they wish they have? You know, what anxieties do they have? What would keep them from making a decision like this? What's their underlying motivation? What is it they really want? And as you collect those pieces, and as you learn how your leads talk about those things in their own words, it's less of a job of waiting to be inspired and more, well, I'm just going to take all these pieces I've got now and assemble them into something that sells. So, I think that's what Eugene, you know, was kind of driving at. And certainly, my whole process is built around is not, you know, let's make up something from scratch. It's let's go get the pieces and build a really damn good tower.
1: You know, what is your process to building that tower? Like, you know, you've worked with some amazing companies like HubSpot and InsideSquared different places. Like what, what would be your process? Like right from the beginning to building that amazing copy?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you cannot write amazing copy on your own. You need to talk to people. Mm. You need to have conversations with people. That's where those insights come from. So my job is helping put, you know, structure in place to make those conversations meaningful. So it, differs a little bit every time. But here's some of the tools in the toolkit that I find myself using again and again. So you might go to your current customers, and you might run a survey and that survey is going to ask them about their experience, not their opinion, not like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this existed? No, you're asking them about <laughs> their experience of buying from you. What was going on in their lives that sent them looking for you? Uh, you know, what made them confident you were the right fit? What was it they were hoping to achieve? What was their first impression of working with you like? What pains did they find that you were alleviating? And so on and so forth. So, surveys are really powerful. I'll get on interviews as well. So, getting someone on the phone and talking to them. Because a survey is nice, but you can go so much deeper on a live call where you can ask why and follow up. And where people tend to be a little more vulnerable and less scripted. So, interviews, surveys, going out and looking at reviews. So both you and your competitors. So uh, looking at the way people talk about what they love about your solution, what they don't love about your solution, what problems you solve for them. Looking at your competitors and seeing, hey, what do people not like about my competitors? Maybe that's something I can position myself against. So you go out and get all this qualitative research by talking to people, having structured conversations, looking at places where people are leaving feedback, whether that's a review, a chat log, whatever it might be. And then you get the quantitative side of things. So that's the part that I think a lot of copywriters struggle with and a lot of businesses don't even realize is part of this. But watching people actually engage with your landing page, with your site, nice. watching recorded user sessions, where do they stop? Where do they scroll? Looking at Google Analytics, if they land on your landing page and then go to a different page, where did they go? That's a clue that tells you something didn't commune get communicated there. They went looking for information somewhere else. Why is that? So a lot of my job is looking at this qualitative data to kind of figure out the, the why behind what people are doing. And then this quantitative data, to look at the what of what they're actually doing, marrying the two into hypotheses and then writing something that I feel is going to help alleviate that pain or bridge the gap or convince them you know, to take action. And it's not about manipulating. We're not trying to get them to do something that's not beneficial. We're not trying to trick them into buying from us. We're trying to make ourselves the obvious choice. We're trying to make taking that action feel so familiar, so comfortable that they can't not do it.
1: Mm, wow. <clears throat> so good. So, you're marrying qualitative and quantitative. How do you come up with the right um, words to put down uh, based on all that research? Do you, uh, do you, like like what you have on your Twitter, do you just like look for inspiration <laughs> or it just hits you?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, with my Twitter lines, sometimes that does, you know, those, those might be moments of inspiration <laughs> where your subconscious is noodling on something for a while. But no, I mean, just like we said, right? Copy is assembled, not written. So out of all that research, all of my best lines, all my best copy is stolen. It's taken right out of the mouths of customers, right? That's where I get it. If I if I hear the way a customer talks about their problem, my job is to commun- communicate the problems we solve in a way they'll relate to. What better way to do that than to take the way they talk about That problem, that solution, what they want, and just use those words. Just promise them the thing that they told you they wanted. Promise them the experience that that they define as being ideal for them, right? So you get those words out of those conversations and looking at, okay, what are the recurring themes here? What words do people use over and over again to talk about this? What concepts get revisited over and over again? What hits me? You know, it's it's a frustrating thing, but you often can know compelling copy when you read it. Like when you read somebody's feedback, you go, that's really unique. Or that was a cool way of saying that. You swipe that. And, you know... The last thing I'll say on this is specificity. So you wanna make specific claims, you wanna make claims people care about. So like a culprit of this that almost every business is guilty of, and you can Google it right now, there'll be like a metric billion websites that say this. Everybody says, we take the time to get to know our customers. To the point that it's totally meaningless. That's that's (laughs) not even a valuable promise anymore, right? But what does that actually look like? What does that mean for the customer in your situation, for your product, for your service? What does that right. actually mean? So the more specific you can be, the more specific examples you can use, not just say, you know, save money, save time. What does that mean for them? What does that look like for them? So specificity is another big tool in the toolkit. And the more specific you are, the more you can pull specific language out of those interactions, conversations, and research, the better off you're going to be.
1: You know, I, I hear this all, like this headline a lot in, in websites, like we make blank simple, like we make <laughs> sales simple. Right? And that's not very specific, but there's this push from, I don't know, the CEO or somebody from the, the leadership team where they want it, they think shorter copy is better. Would you say that that's not always the case? And sometimes longer copy is actually a little bit better as long as you're more specific?
0: Yeah, I think one of my biggest pet peeves is the idea that people don't read anymore because it's just not true. We read, but we read what's compelling to us. If I hit you with something that hits you at your core, you're going to continue. Now, yes, there are situations where, you know, while there are no rules to conversion copywriting or writing copy that persuades, there are some guidelines. Like your headline probably shouldn't be a paragraph, right? I mean, I'm sure somebody could make (laughs) that work, but some Sometimes punchy short is better. But when it comes to determining length, it's not about preference. It's not that short is better than long. It's about cognition. It's about awareness. So let's break those two down really, really quick. Cognition is, can I follow what you're saying? Can I process it? The reason that we tend to like short, punchy sentences, especially to start things like emails or landing pages, is not because shorter is better. It's because we're building up a cadence where, okay, that sentence was easy to read. That was easy to digest. If you open with a long, winding, run-on sentence, the brain has to do a lot of work to keep up with The points you're making. So, the easier you can make it coming in, the more likely you are to keep that person interested and retained and to make your point quickly. You never want to be needlessly verbose or use words that you don't have to use. So, yes, you want to be concise. But let's, for example, look at that of, okay, we're talking about cognition and awareness, right? So, for the awareness, like, should your sales page be long? Should it be short? What it comes down to is how much do you have to fill that person in? How much do you have to say to bridge the gap between the stuff they know now and the pains they feel now and that outcome, right? So, if you and I were talking, and let's say that, you know, I use this example all the time, but let's say I'm selling floss sticks, right? So, you know, the ones with the little, like, floss on on a stick, right? So if you (laughs) know what floss sticks are and you understand the value of them and you know you've got something in your teeth, the only thing I have to say to you to sell that to you is, hey, I've got floss sticks. They're a buck off so you can get them for 50 cents. I've got them right here. Would you like some? I just have to tell you the deal. That's all you need to know. I don't need to explain what a floss stick is, why it's valuable, why it's better than a toothpick. All I have to tell you is, here's the price. Here's the thing you want. There you go. But if I'm, say product aware or solution aware problem aware right if all i know is my pain if all i know is i have a problem and i don't know solutions exist then naturally to sell to me you've got to do a lot more work because you have to bridge the gap by first agitating my pain and showing me that you understand what i'm going through then present yourself as a possible solution then qualify yourself against other potential solutions as the best then show me the deal that naturally takes up more space, right? So, the less aware your leads are, the longer your copy tends to have to be or the more different assets you tend to have to expose them to. But we need to put to death the idea that like in an absolute sense, shorter is better than longer. As long as we're not making things difficult to read, a sales page can be as long as it needs to be to do the job or as short as it needs to be to just communicate the point.
1: That's so good. Yeah, it's so true. That you know, it really depends on how aware they are in the problem. Would you write different? Uh copy for different pages depending on how a problem and solution aware each of the customers are in terms of their customer journey.
0: But yeah, I mean, when you know how much a particular lead knows, then you want to tailor your page to them. Now, people tend to get tripped up on this because the prototypical thing people think about when it comes to copywriting for some reason is the homepage. Everybody thinks, okay, do all these rules apply to my homepage all the time? No, right? Your homepage is a waypoint page. Lots of different awareness types are going to wind up there. But your land your landing page, your sales page, the thing you're driving an ad to, the thing you're pushing to from an email. Maybe it's the email itself right? A cold email goes to somebody who's probably never heard of you. Now, how aware they are might depend on what their role is. Maybe you know, for example, you're sending a cold email to a company that's going through a lot of growth. They're actively feeling the pain of that growth. And let's say that you provide a service where you help them optimize their processes. That person's probably problem aware. They're experiencing the pain. So you would tailor your pitch to them, but that's really what it comes down to, right? Same with the floss example in the way that I would tailor my pitch when we were speaking, I'd tailor the content on the page. And That is really, I think, the future of copywriting as tech gets better, as we have more power to understand how aware a lead might be based on all kinds of different factors. That's where things are going is an experience on a landing page, on a site, on whatever that's completely tailored. It feels like it was made for you because we've got all these data points to reference to say, okay, based on this, we think this person knows this much or is this aware. Let's just give them the information they want or they need and skip the other stuff.
1: Now in that whole process, like how do you use like social proof uh, in, you know, depending on where they are in in their journey?
0: Yeah, let's quickly define social proof just in case people listening are like, what is that? So when we talk about social proof for copy, we're talking about a, a few different things. So social proof can come in the form of like testimonials, case studies, it can come in the form of video or written. It can be metrics. So success metrics are like the classic examples, Basecamp references, how many customers they have. So that's social proof, and there's lots of ways to use social proof, and it depends on the situation, but some of the most common and powerful is to use social proof to support, say, a point you made. So if you just talked about how a feature provides a certain benefit, probably a good idea to have, say, a testimonial saying, hey, that feature provided that benefit for me Uh, on your pricing page, right? Area of friction, people are kind of really humming and hawing. Why not have some social proof there? It says, you know, either a testimony that says, hey, I bought this thing. I'm just like you. I got the great outcome you want. Maybe we bring in a success metric to say, you know, 10,000 people bought this training so that they feel comfortable being part of the herd. So areas of friction, supporting big claims. In some cases, you can even use social proof as a headline. If you know that your lead is, say, solution aware and they're trying to evaluate, you know, how solutions work or which solution is best for them. Then you could have a testimonial from someone they recognize even as your headline or, you know, in the headline section or hero section saying, hey, you know me, you know that I do great stuff. I trust this product, so you should too. So, there's lots of different ways to wield social proof. You just have to know the context of your leads and and test it, you know, always test it. No matter how sure you might be, uh, the thing I love about copywriting is there is 100% always room to be surprised and you're very likely to be surprised. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about that. Let's talk about surprise. Was there anything that you've done in the past um, that, you know, you wrote something, you put together some copy and then the results surprise you, whether that's good or or All the time.
0: Almost almost every project. I mean, there there are things where uh, I've seen uglier pages convert much better than beautifully designed pages right um why it's hard you know we can hypothesize but sometimes a really polished beautiful page implies that it's going to be a really expensive product there's a reason you still see those landing pages with like all kinds of weird highlights and 10 different font sizes and the box of software with a cd on it even though nobody buys that way weird stuff works There have been times where uh, I've put together variants that I was so confident in. And then just as kind of a courtesy to the client, I put together another variant just for the sake of being different. So I I take a different tack with it and I say, okay, here's the variant I'm I'm really confident in. Here's this other one that you can test it against. Just, you know, I'm I'm sure that the one that I like is going to perform really well, but let's try both. And the one that I whipped together, it dominates the one that I like was in love with. And that's heartbreaking, but that happens all the time. I've seen... You know, I've seen tests where uh, doing weird things with pricing, like changing nines to sevens, uh, you know, uh, sent the purchasing in either direction, up or down. So that's why it's so important not to get married to your own ideas, not to ever think you're so smart you've got it figured out. By telling you all this, I'm not saying that, like, we'll throw a process out the window because you can whip something together and it can outperform what you've done. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, do the research, You know, get to know your customers. That will never be a waste of time. But understand that the way we make decisions and the things that influence those decisions can be so nuanced and so difficult to detect and honestly so random um, that there will always be room for that wildcard, room for surprise. But you will never, I I can tell you right now, I've got a much better track record of improving conversions when I do the research than somebody who's just blindly guessing Mm. at what might work.
1: That's so true. Yeah. It makes sense doing all that research. Now, once you've written down the copy, do you do any wireframing? I think I saw one of your YouTube videos as well, where you you were showing some wireframing stuff.
0: Yeah. To me, it's an essential skill for copywriters to have uh, because the design of the copy, the way that copy is presented has such a massive impact on cognition, on how people read that as a copywriter, part of your job is understanding how copy should be displayed. Now, I am not a designer, I will never be a designer, I cannot make you an aesthetically beautiful site at all. And I'm not trying to take any UX designer's job, but when you wireframe as a copywriter, it does a few things. The first is you can see what the the copy will look like in context. So a lot of people write their websites in a Word doc. Well, you convert the copy to the site and all of a sudden, holy crap, everything's way too long, run on sentences, looks terrible. It doesn't translate, right? Well, when you write in a Word doc, how big is the font? Like 12? on a website how much real estate does copy take up you know that tiny 12 point font that that looked just fine in your word processor suddenly looks like a wall of copy that nobody is ever gonna read. So when you learn to wireframe, it gives you a truer perspective of how people might actually absorb and consume your copy. The other thing is wireframing gives you and a designer a common ground. So you have this, this middle of the road asset where you know they really know design, they really know how to present information. You're making their life easier while also protecting yourself and saying, hey, here's how I envisioned this copy flowing. So you've got an easier conversation on your hands where now the designer can see your intent and not guess at it. They don't have to decode this big wall of text into well, this should go here and that should go there. So I think it's an essential skill. It's a very underrated skill, um, but I've never, never had a client complain (laughs) uh, at getting a a wireframe. It it tends to really wow people and make the entire process so much easier. It's, It's easier to visualize what the end product might look and feel and sound like.
1: Now, you know, one of the advice I hear all the time is, especially in growth, is you have to fall in love with the process. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Like you have this whole process and I'm curious how you get your clients to fall in love with the process as much as you love it. That they, they're not looking mainly just for the results and they're looking for it. Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, everybody, you know, I'm lucky to be in a position now where people know me and know my process and come to me for that. But in the early days, the way that you go about this is by showing them not like, okay, this is my process and all the steps I go through. Why do you do things the way you do them? I don't do this, this thoroughly, this deeply for fun. There's a reason behind all of the steps. But It doesn't do me any good to say, well, the reason I do this is so that I can do that. So this and that about me, it's about them, right? So I used to start the conversation and I still do to this day, oftentimes say, listen, I don't want you to pay me to guess, I don't want you to hand me wads of cash (laughs) to stab in the dark at what might work. And this is my process. And I go through each step and I explain the value of that step, not to me, the writer, but to them. So let me give you an example. So if if you and I were chatting and, and I had just given you a proposal for an audit and you said, this audit looks like total overkill for us. Why do we need to do a survey? Why do we need to talk to sales team? Can't we just give you a brief? Can't you just go write the thing? What I would tell you is, okay, listen, The reason I talk to your sales team is because I wanna get in the heads of the people on your team. I wanna listen to the way your best people counter objections. I wanna steal their best lines. I wanna hear the questions that they hear all the time over and over and over again so that I can make the copy such that they never have to answer that question again. And for you, that means a happier sales team. That means your sales team is going to get more qualified leads. And when you've got more qualified leads, that's going to be more qualified sales. That's going to be more sales at the end of the day. And then I might say, listen, I know a survey sounds like a lot of work, but the reason you're going to get a ton out of a survey is we're going to be able to collect customer feedback at scale. And it's not just going to be valuable for this project. Out of that survey, you're going to learn what customers love about you, what features they care about most, what they came looking for in the first place, what's disappointed them about the experience so far, so that your support team can react, you can save relationships on the rocks, you can emphasize the features that Mm -hmm. truly set you apart, right? So, even as I'm doing this right now, I'm flipping my process around and saying, here's why I do what I do and why it's valuable to you. And when you frame it up that way, it's less like a laundry list of like busy work, busy research that I go into a cave and do all alone and more, okay, there's a ton of value in doing all of these steps. There's a ton of takeaways for me as a business and bottom line, at the end of this, it's impossible that we're paying this guy to guess. He's going to know more about, in some cases, our customers, our product, why people choose us than we do right now. And that's going to have applications across every project we do, whether it's an ad campaign, a landing page, email series, so on and so forth. So it really comes down to demonstrating the value of the process back to the customer.
1: But such a great way to put it. Like you're explaining everything you're doing and you're like backing it up with uh, the reason why. Now talking about social proof, I know I'm, I'm switching gears a bit. Uh, I noticed you started another business called Case Study Buddy. Um, You know, how did that come about and like how... How, is it the same process that you do for, for that Yeah, business? pretty
0: similar. I mean, the, the story of Case Study Buddy goes like this. I had worked on a big client project um, yeah, for for a company that's, that's I, I can't necessarily name, but quite well known. And there was a guy on that project who had opened the door for me. And he's the kind of guy that no matter what he asks you to do or what opportunity he presents you with, you're going to take it because it came from him, um, because he's just got that kind of sway and so in this case this guy kind of said uh listen uh, i've got a, a startup or you know a software company they're 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 looking to get a case study done is that something you could do or could you refer someone but kind of a heavy you know wink and nod to is that something you could do <laughs> so i said you know what yeah why not and uh went online and i looked up all i i ripped through All of the free resources I could fit into an afternoon on how to do a case study. And I looked at tons of examples. And the more that I read, the more excited I got because I realized here is an asset that packs a ton of punch, that can be repurposed so many ways, uh, that is hard to do and hard to do right. And everybody needs it. Every company needs customer success stories why is almost nobody doing them? And then I looked around and I said, well, surely somebody has planted the flag and said, hey, we specialize in this, we're the best at it. And I found nobody, honestly. I found a smattering of like, there's one woman who was like kind of the dominant force, but like almost no competition, like a freelancer here or there who kind of did it as one of 20 other things, marketing agencies that just kind of threw it together as one of many deliverables. But I saw almost no specialists and that got me really excited because i thought i can do that i can build the company i can be the one to plant the flag here and that's what i did so i did that first project and that first project led to other projects and almost right away i I spun it off as this side company said this is what i'm gonna do we're gonna get really really good at this um for the first year, we were pretty much – this is such a – I find it a douchey term, but we were like stealth mode, right? We were, we were just doing the work. I, I was actively <laughs> like doing the studies myself, trying to learn all the ways that these things could go wrong, that the process could break, really trying to learn for myself what actually goes in. Because it's one thing to read about doing something. It's a completely different thing to like get on a call and do the interview yourself or like deal with the fallout of like you've done the interview, you've written it up, and then someone goes, actually, we don't want to be featured anymore, right? So we spent a good I spent a good long time doing them myself and and learning all the mistakes, all the things that that could go wrong. And when I say all, I mean that loosely, like everything I could learn in that time period. (laughs) Then I put together the process, started building the team, brought on a partner named Jen, who used to work with me at an agency to help kind of grow and manage it. And we've just been refining the process and getting, in my opinion, better and better and stronger all the time and we still are in a, a wonderful place where you're like my big goal, I want to be the company for this and I feel like we're wow. getting there. I feel like we have a great client list. I feel like we're starting to get some really good traction and some really you know exciting clients and uh, I mean all the clients are exciting to me but you know clients that other people would know the names <laughs> of you know and and so uh, <laughs> you know it's just kind of snowballed from there.
1: And now you're doing videos for it. I saw like uh, it's not just, uh, you know, written um, case studies, but also like video, I guess. Totally.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's pushing us into new places. I come from the copy world, from the writing world and video and the mechanics of doing that are new to me, but we've got a great team and we've started taking on those and now we're venturing into some other areas that I don't want to telegraph to the competition because we are seeing copycats now. But, you know, like, like I said, my goal is to be the most comprehensive and the best company at doing this specific asset and helping people put it to use. And uh, that you know that is our mission and and honestly this year i've had to make a really hard call you know the conversion copy stuff really pays my bills it's what's lucrative for me but as of you know essentially may the end of may i'm turning away all for the most part client work outside of doing small audits and you know small projects and obviously if i really uh, you know, client, I can't refuse. Crosses my threshold, I you know, I'll, I'll consider it. But I've made time in my schedule now to to take what used to be kind of a fun, profitable side project and is now a company in its own right and push it as far as as I feel I can take it on the back half of the year. So it's really exciting days. I'm learning a lot. I'm being stretched a lot. I'm making mistakes, but with those mistakes, you know, I keep learning. We keep getting better, and we've got such great clients who are so. Understanding and excited about what we're doing, and so loyal um, that it's it's just a really fun adventure and something I'm I'm excited to keep exploring. I'm not killing. I want to. I'm not killing conversion copy stuff. It's not. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> but for a <laughs> time, I'm I'm going to backbench it a little bit and be uh, pretty darn selective about right. how much time I invest in that.
1: That makes sense, right? It's uh, it's an exciting field. I think you're right. Like, I I'm not sure if it was something I read, but I think on Twitter you. Somebody tried to copy your your all your copy for case study, buddy, and then you tweeted it out. Is that did that happen, or am I crazy? Um,
0: I mean, there's been multiple incidences of different things like that over time. We've had people do all sorts of weird stuff, and honestly, it used to bother me a lot. Uh, if it's a carbon copy and people are really presenting themselves as us, that bothers me. But now, honestly, my goal is just to stay ahead. People can steal our visuals. They can right. steal whatever they, you know, I'm not giving them permission, but that's going to happen. But they can't steal our relationships. They right. can't steal our reputation. Mm, that's what I'm going to build right. a bulletproof company uh, is it, just being the best and the best known. And and that's what I'm on a mission to do.
1: Awesome, man. That's a, it's amazing. I, you know, I love ending with this question, you know, what kind of advice do you have for any marketers who wants to get into copywriting or to get to where you're at now? I know you're quite, you know, further ahead than a lot of people in terms of, of their career. Like what would be your advice to somebody maybe starting out or some, somewhere in the middle of their career as a marketer? Yeah.
0: I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, just start. I think people get so hung up on like (laughs) learning and learning and learning and they never apply. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, like, I did everything I could coming into conversion copy to to absorb all that I could. And when I started Case That Way, I read everything I could. But then you have to do the thing. You have to get off the horse and be bad at something for a while and make mistakes. And if you don't, you know, if you want to be, it's a quote that I forget who said, but if you want to be a writer, be a writer. Just write, right? Start writing. Mm. Don't wait until you're perfect at something because you will never be. I'm not Perfect. You know, not all of my tests win. No conversion copywriters' tests all win. Uh, you know our case studies. I thought they were good when we started. I feel like they're a thousand times better now, and I hope that a year from now I feel like they're a thousand times better again. Uh, you're you're never gonna hit it out of the park on your first try. That's that rarely, if ever, happens. But. If you don't start, you'll never, you'll never finish, you know? And, and I, I would say, cheesy sounds, yeah. just, just get going, just start doing it.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Joel. And like one final question where can people find you? Um, do you like, Twitter, LinkedIn, any any specific places you want to send yeah.
0: my listeners to. Totally. Uh, Twitter is probably where I'm most active. So just at Joel Kletke, K-L-E-T-T-K-E. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Please don't add me to Facebook. That's uh, that's a whole mess in and of <laughs> itself. But LinkedIn, Twitter, you can find me at com or casestudybuddy.com. Um, and, uh, you know, I try my best to be as responsive as I can be, sometimes a little bit slow, but I try to write back to every person uh, who asks the question wow. or, you know, sometimes it takes weeks, but I, I will do it. So, uh, you know, if you uh, want to connect, please know that I'm excited to do so.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Joel. Have a, a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Hey, thanks for listening on this episode with Joel. Hopefully you learn a lot from this episode. Uh such a great guy uh, if you want to reach out to him you can go to businesscasualcopywriting.com and like he said he'll reply back but it might take him a few weeks if you learn anything from here and you found this valuable please share it out tweet it out uh, share it with your friends your family i'm also looking for any more guests that wants to come on to here if you do uh, reach out to me at at ramley John or at my email ramley at today other than that i'll see you in the next episode and keep on growing